I forget what I'm supposed to do. The end, <laughs> we do this every time. The end of the first one. The end of the first one. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what? <laughs> we need a drink. We do the bloopers. <laughs> <Where's> the <laughs> <shit>? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's try it again. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast. The best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. It is. And where are we, Yola? Uh, we're in Chicago. Oh, the beautiful city mm-hmm. of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And where the sun it's sunny, is shining. Which makes me happy because I come from the land of the frozen north. Mm. So, sun is always a good thing. Are you behind the wall or before? <laughs> that depends on your viewpoint, I think. Mm. Yes. Do you have depends. dragons? Do we have dragons? Yeah. Oh, she doesn't watch uh, Game of Thrones. Obviously. Oh, my gosh. You are not Neither watching Game of Thrones. No way. No. So yeah. everybody in my house watches Game of Thrones yeah. except me. Yeah. So what I do, so I hope my son isn't listening. I hope mm. Ben isn't listening because here's here's my, my mom tip if you don't watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I just check social media in the morning, yes. right, after the Game of Thrones episode yes. to see what was the current controversy so I can have, actually have a discussion <laughs> With my son. You see, yeah. I don't care and I don't pretend to care. <laughs> it's like Fortnite. I don't care and I don't pretend to care. I don't even care. No. Uh, nope. Right. I just, right. no. You know, there are no cats in Game of Thrones. So that is a major well, there you go. negative point. I knew there was a reason I wasn't show, watching it. But, this but might, do you watch any television? Let's introduce we, yourself. No. <laughs> back what? up. This oh, might be the first up. time. Yeah. Is it the first time we've had two Susans? As we both think frantically. What? Two Sues. Oh, Sue. Sue, Sue. You didn't even make the connection. No, hello. No, I'm, I'm talking we've, Susan. We've never had two Yolas. That's no, but for sure. No, we had a Joe and a Yola. Oh, that's the same thing yeah. then. Joe, Joe is his Starbucks name. Yes, Joe yeah? He It's his Starbucks name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody, well, not everybody, but uh, but they some people. They don't misspell Joe. <laughs> that's, that. so I think, is it, or did we, did, no, we maybe have had the other Susan Little. Uh, we didn't have the other Susan not yet, yet. No. <gasps> you're the first yay Sue yes. guest okay Dr. Sue yeah the first Dr. Sue guest okay so now Dr. you better Sue introduce yourself yeah, yeah that's it after all that you better introduce yourself <laughs> I'm Dr. Sue Edinger I'm a medical oncologist in the New York area and and, and what do you do what do I, I do yeah I treat dogs and cats with cancer, and I'm also known as Dr. Sue Cancer Vet. Yes. And I'm passionate about raising cancer awareness, both with pet owners and with veterinarians, so we can treat pets, diagnose them earlier, so they can live longer and live well with cancer. Mm-hmm. And she's all over social media. All over social mm-hmm. media. My husband, who while well, he's watching Game of Thrones, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on social media. He often calls yeah. my social media accounts my boyfriend. Oh. I spend a lot of time. It's your work yeah. boyfriend. It's my work boyfriend. Yeah. I spend a lot of time. It's it's a passion, but it definitely cuts into mm-hmm. our time. But I have to say, because uh, we know each other a little longer, and you have been... How long, ha, how long has your social media career been? When did you start? When was the first time that you... So I co-wrote the Dog Cancer Survival Guide. Yeah. It came out in 2011. And then I did a website. 
and then that's when I did Facebook. So it was like 2012, but I don't think I really started to do it consistently for about another year or so. So probably been doing it five, six years. Yeah. And I, it's to me, it's like exercise. It's you just have to do it every day. Every mm-hmm. it's consistency. It's you're not just going to do it a little bit here, a little bit there. It's just something you have to consistently do to be successful at. And I just think that's the key is just consistently working at it day in, day out. And what I like about you is that you also uh, challenge yourself. So you innovate in the things that you do. So you start a vlog. You start. I mean, you do all these new things that you either see other people do or you hear about and then you try it yourself and put your spin to it. That's pretty awesome, I think. Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I don't think that when I went into private practice, when I finished Mm. my medical oncology residency, I would have any idea that I would be doing social media, that I would be speaking, that I would be lecturing, that I would be vlogging, that I would be storytelling, you know, that I would be trying to reach other people outside my geographic area. So it's been a fun, exciting journey, a little bit overwhelming at times, but I feel blessed to be able to what to be able to do what I do on a daily basis. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're also probably part of the group of social media veneer pioneers that is there. So it's not a really big group. Uh, but it's increasing because I see more and more young people doing the same things, which I think is amazing. So, so I, I think that uh, and and there's very few people that talk about oncology the way you do and make it access accessible for everybody. Yeah. Mm. When did the see something see something do something start? When did you start that? So that. Pro- the years start to blend. I know. <laughs> so I think it was probably around 2014. So I was in private practice in Westchester, just north of New York City, running an oncology service. The book had come out. I was doing a little bit of social media, but my head oncology's nurse, Amanda, she had this wonderful white pity. He was about 12 years old at the time, Smokey, and he had a bunch of benign lipomas that we had aspirated over the years. And she found another lump and she said, Dr. Sue, can I bring him in? I think I found another fatty tumor. And she actually, she brought him in to work all the time because he had all these other medical conditions that my husband and internist had taken care of. So he had uh, Addison's disease, he had an arrhythmia, had kidney disease, he had been on the MRI truck, we had a truck outside the hospital, so he had lots of diseases, he came to work all the time because he was just mm-hmm. an older dog and we were allowed to bring our pets. And it was one late day and she said, oh, I'm, you know, I said, go get Smokey, and she said, meh, you know, I'll just do it another day. So about a week or two later, I stick a needle in this mass and it turned out to be a soft tissue sarcoma. And it was a seven centimeter mass. It was a low-grade soft tissue sarcoma. Mm. We ended up getting clean and wide margins. We aspirated it. We biopsied it first. But it it was this flank mass, and it required this huge surgery, and the surgeon had to do a flap, and the flap broke down, and it dehissed, and it, you know, it looked like it wasn't going to hold. And I thought to myself, because it took weeks and months for this thing to heal, like, how did I fail this dog that was in front of me? And so, you know, I talk about this morning I talked about failure first attempt in learning this was a huge failure for me I was like how did I miss this lump and bump in this dog I I claimed in my mind to be someone of early detection and I went back to the books and there aren't really good uh lumps and bumps there aren't you know there wasn't a good protocol for lumps Mm. and bumps in for dogs and cats there's the one for soft tissue sarcomas for vaccine associated sarcomas but most books say if lumps and bumps are 
growing, irritating, or um, bothering the patient that you should do something, but nobody, pet owners or veterinarians, really know what that means. And we mm. all see these lumps and bumps that come in, like half the dog or cat's face, or wrapping, or you know, mast cell tumors that are wrapping around, you know, the cat's legs, and or you know, soft mm. tissues or comas that are wrapping around the legs of of pets. And and I said to myself, we just have to do something better. And that's where the program came from. So I started emailing some other oncologists and got surgeons involved. And I was working with VCA at the, pro- at the time and we put together the program. So to me, it came from this, ca- and Smokey to me was like my stepdog. Like he, I love this dog so much and I felt like I failed him. And he's now an inspiration to help so many other dogs and cats. So that's where the program came from. But when I tell other pet owners and I tell other veterinarians, I was like, guys, this is me sharing to you, like one of the biggest failures for me as a veterinarian, like how did I miss this lump and bump? But the point was we got complacent because all of his other lumps had been benign. So that's where the program came from. Yeah. I, I love that you took something that I'm sure broke your heart. Yeah. At the time. Because it right. took a long, I mean, all, the pictures, I mean, the surgeon, Jen Bonzinski, who was phenomenal, she took a flap of skin from the cranial thigh and moved it up to the flank to fill the deficit. I mean, that's how huge this was. Mm. And she got margins, but it, it broke down. Mm. It, it did eventually heal, but, you know... You can look back now and be like, oh, it healed. But mm. day in, day out, this dog that was an Addisonian with kidney disease and arrhythmia, like it was. Mm. It could have gone down from any one yeah. of those cumulative yeah. um, issues. So I do love that you took something that, again, I'm sure was heartbreaking to go through. And it wasn't just a day of heartbreak. It was weeks, I'm sure. But turned it into something that I'm also sure saved lives. Yeah. Right. So. And the cool thing about social media, what I love about it is I get messages from people in England or in California or in Australia that say, I went to my vet and and because of your program, I told them to stick a needle in the mask. Like they know why wait aspirate. And sometimes a veterinarian isn't aspirating. So that's why I really want to educate Mm. pet owners and I want to educate veterinarians. And for the vets that aren't aspirating, I say it's not your fault because I, we didn't know there are, there hasn't been guidelines, but now there are guidelines. So, but change is slow. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons I get out there and lecture and I use any opportunity, if it's a podcast or an article to share this information, but it is super exciting when someone from Australia sends me a message that Mm. they went to their vet and their vet Mm. aspirated and they, their dog had a mast cell tumor or their cat had a soft tissue sarcoma and they got clean and wide margins on the first time because they knew what it was. Yeah, I think it's nice because you create demand for the end user towards the vets too. So it's not yeah. only that you're targeting the vets to learn more, but you're also targeting the end user, which is the consumer, which is the client, yeah. to be vigilant about this, which I don't think that we as oncologists, surgical oncologists, medical oncologists, uh, teach them well enough to do you know I, I i do it when they come into the clinic and they have a tumor i tell them you know from now on we have a very close relationship i want you to see you at any time when you feel something abnormal but we don't do it before that so i'm not every client that i see i'm not teaching okay this is the way how you have to do it and you need to call me from from now on yeah and i think that's what you're doing and yeah. and, I, and i think we're making the job easier for general practitioners mm-hmm if the pet owner is informed yes. and they can help us find it earlier. And I realize I probably owe you guys a lot of drinks because I said the D word many, many times. Uh-huh. It's a bottle. 
but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think you know I, that's the one thing that I think social media and this experience has taught me is it's so important for anything to be successful is that we're educating the pet owner and educate educating ourselves as veterinary professionals mm-hmm. because for anything to be successful because we can all be super smart as veterinary professionals but if the pet owners aren't engaged and on yeah. board, board it's not going to work and it's the same thing if you have super engaged pet owners but the veterinary profession's not on the same playing field you know what i mean like yeah. everybody's got to be working together and so that's sort of been the fun part about doing social media and talking to veterinarians at conferences is you get to learn from everybody and work together and that's been really fun the flip side to that is that there is a lot of misinformation on social media too and you probably have to deal with that every day every day yeah and it's I mean, I've tried to use social media as a positive experience, and I've also tried to turn it off at times, which is hard. And I mean, I've tried to create a a positive site to educate. Mm And I, and I don't always go to the other sites. I don't like sites that are complaining about veterinary medicine or clients complaining just in general. And over the years, there are times I'll send stuff to Caitlin who helps me with my social media and she'll be like, ban and block. You know, because somebody will make a really negative comment either about me or just treating cancer in general. Uh-huh. And she's like, and I was like, but free speech. She's like, honey, this is your site. Like, yeah. you know, she's like, you you don't need to, you know, or somebody she's will, right. someone it's will like, curse at me. It's your like, house. Yeah. It's like, your house. She's you don't like, have to tolerate She's like, it. somebody can't call you the B word on your site. In and your house. Yeah. In your house. She's like, so I've tried to just, you know, be positive about it. Or someone doesn't understand chemotherapy or they, people still say, oh, you're poisoning them with chemotherapy. Why don't you try herbs only instead? You know, and so it's gotten easier over the years. And I think, and I, I take it a little less personally. <clears throat> so speaking of, of uh, like myths and misconceptions, uh, there are a lot of myths and misconceptions about cancer and pets in general, but I often feel that cats still get the short end of the stick there. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I mean, one of the, so one of my nurses was more inclined towards cats and she would always get so frustrated that there was less information about cats versus yes. dogs, just in terms of, she would always go to Withrow McEwen, right? Which is like the oncology book. And she would be like, for different tumors, she'd be like, why is there 50 pages for dogs and 20 pages for cats yeah. for or the a, same tumor? Or a paragraph. Yeah, or, yeah. or a paragraph. If it was an uncommon tumor, she'd be yeah. like, 10 pages for dogs and, and yeah. two paragraphs for cats. So, you know, she 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 called them like the wicked stepchildren, right? That Or the orphan stuff. Orphans. They were just less information. So I think we often have less information about cats. The good thing about cats with cancer did I just say that is they talk you know but the the one thing that most people don't know is you know I say to clients when I'm in the room of dogs cats and people who's going to tolerate chemo the best and the good news is that cats cats. tolerate and you always think well they're these small little creatures but man they tolerate chemo the best and I think that is one of the myths and misconceptions that people don't know but I do feel frustrated that we often don't have as good studies about them um, and we don't have as much information so it's hard to prognosticate about them it's hard to just you know either help veterinarians or pet owners often through you know the decision-making process. Mm 
I'm Dr. Sue Edinger, also known as Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, and I'm so excited to be sponsoring this PER podcast. Please be sure to check out my website, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, and also my YouTube channel. Also, amazingly, Dr. Sue Cancer Vet, where you can find tons of information about cats and the other species as well. And you can find information about cats and dogs going through cancer with information about chemotherapy and the different tumors that we see and treat in dogs and cats and how we can kick cancer's butt. I think in in some ways we're we're doing better in all of the uh, ancillary parts of getting a cat through um, chemotherapy. So there's the issues of the specific tumor and the specific treatment, but we're also doing better at the supportive stuff. Right. You know, supporting your appetite, um, su- uh, controlling nausea, controlling pain. I mean, I'm just excited that Meritaz just mm. came out, right? I mean, so we finally have an appetite stimulant for cats that we don't have to pill our cats yeah. for. like Transdermal. Yeah, transdermal. So yeah. when my cat had IBD that became lymphoma, Jeter, who we lectured about, yeah. I couldn't pill this cat. Yeah. And I'm a veterinarian. And yeah. so, you know, when we talk about not being judgy with our clients, like, he... He knew, like at first he loved his chicken flavor prednisolone, but then he knew in the evening that when I went to the fridge, he ran. So I used to like go to the refrigerator and sneak it under like my sweatshirt, (laughs) go in the laundry room. And I was like, oh my God, this is what pet owners do. This is what they do. And then when there was one medication that we couldn't get compounded, and I was like, and my husband's like, we have to pill him? You know, like, so thank God, you know. So I do think like the fact that, Kindred Bio has developed a transdermal yeah. FDA-approved medication to yeah. help cats gain weight by stimulating their appetite. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, there's nothing more humbling than having, my husband's a veterinarian too, than having you and your husband realizing neither of you can pill the darn cat. Yeah. Right? And I've if we my, can't, yeah. and if we can't. I have my seven-year-old going one direction and my nine-year-old, and the, uh, we're all trying to chase the cat. Like, yeah. and this is just one yeah. time, yeah. right? Here, like, yeah, the, yeah. And there's yeah. like 30 days to go. Yeah. 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 So I, I think we're we're getting better at um, getting that type of support, right? Right. And, and we're also. you expect your nine-year-old <laughs> client. Oh, right. that's right. With five cats to pill to do it. cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pills a day. Yeah. So, because a lot of the battle around um, uh, cancer and chemotherapy in cats, probably in the other species too, but especially in cats, it's all the supportive stuff, right? It's making sure that they're eating, that they're, you know, they're, that they're feeling okay, that they're not feeling nauseous. That's that's a big part of the battle um, as you're going through the whole experience. So so the the more we pay attention to that, and the better we do with that. And to some degree, I think that's been underestimated. You know, I think veterinarians um, who have been treating, let, let's say even lymphoma, which is you know number one cat cancer and a lot of veterinarians have some degree of experience with treating lymphoma all all focused in on on you know the cancer and the specific drugs and like traditionally didn't think much about the other stuff no it makes a big difference and i think a lot of the times a lot of many cats are in multi-cat households mm. and you know i had two cats and you know i tell a story about when jeter our cat with ibd it wasn't until our other cat passed away from kidney disease that we realized we were blaming the new vom- the vomiting on Jeter. And we realized once the other cat passed away from kidney disease, that that vomiting that we thought was Jeter's IBD getting worse again was really the cat with kidney disease. Yeah. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. like how confusing <laughs> it is. And, you know, and I also like our cat losing weight was, you know, noticed by my mother-in-law. So, you know. 
I think you, I think you just you learn a lot about yeah. being, a, and you stop more judging. T- you stop judging. <laughs> you know, I think you're a more tolerant yeah. veterinarian yeah. when you've had some really bad experiences mm. with your own yeah. pets. Yeah, and I think cats can be humbling. You know, <laughs> killing them every d- day, figuring out weight loss. Yeah. You know, figuring out appetite. You know, especially if you have a multi-cat household. You know, it's not as easy as just taking a five-minute, ten-minute history you know, in the exam room and just saying, how's the appetite? You know, you really sometimes have to probe much more deeply to figure out, you know, things like sometimes, you know, I, you know, I talk about with, you know, other veterinarians, like the owner may tell you the appetite's good, but they're hand feeding. Like that's not a good appetite, but the owners will tell you good appetite. Or they think it's good because they saw him go eat. Right. But did he eat enough? Right. Yeah. And so they're still losing weight. So it, it's tricky. Yeah, it's it. Cat, cats definitely make it tricky. That's for sure, and and you're right. They are they are definitely um, humbling, um, but I do think that we're making strides. I hope anyway. You know, in in, in um, a better understanding of cats and a better understanding of how to support them when they go through these chronic illnesses. And, and for lymphoma, I also think the oncology community is doing a better job. You know, even doing papers, right? We used to have cat lymphoma papers that had high grade and low grade and kidney. And at least now we're looking at intermediate and high grade gastrointestinal lymphoma only. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And we've separated out the other anatomic forms and the low grade. Thank goodness. Right. So I think now we're just getting better at, at prognosticating and looking at studies and things. So I think that helps the newer studies that are coming out. Yeah. We're writing, we're writing better papers. We're, we're, um, understanding that you can't lump everything together, right? Um, just because you've got you know thirty cases of cat lymphoma doesn't mean they all go in one paper. It doesn't, right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Newsflash. No. Mm. Yeah. So so th- those are those are all good things. Um, so let's just I I, I know um, lymphoma is usually medically treated. So I'm looking at Yola, who's a surgeon, but uh, yeah, he's yawning. We'll we'll talk we'll 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 let Yola talk about other cancers in a minute. But so just to speak on on lymphoma for a bit. Um, uh, what do you see as when you're talking to an owner whose cat's been diagnosed let's say let's start with like the small cell low grade lymphomas mm-hmm. what do you tell owners in, in terms, terms of, of prognostics in terms of, of what, what their cat's going to have to go through so usually those are ones where we're going to talk about a combination of oral chemotherapy so we have to talk to them about the ability to pill on yeah. a chronic basis yeah uh, so it's usually every other day, Lucaran, Chlorambacil with daily steroids. Uh, usually they're going to be on those lifelong. And I tell the owners it's a reasonably good prognosis with, you know, getting them into remission, which, which remission is defined as gaining weight. So the symptoms that they were associated, so it's usually some combination of they're going to no longer be vomiting, they're going to be eating normally, and they're going to gain their weight back. And usually most studies say that their average survival will be about a year and a half to two years. So not bad, Mm -hmm. never long enough when it's your own pet, but Mm -hmm. usually a very treatable disease. But I always tell owners this is like heart disease or kidney disease. You're probably not going to cure the cat, but we're going to treat it like a chronic disease live longer, live well, so we want them to have a great quality of life, but it's gonna require chronic visits and chronic medication. And a lot of that comes down to, because it is chronic treatment, Yeah. will the cat accept or tolerate it? Right. Right, because still, there's still oral drugs there no matter what you do. Yeah, but when I'm actually in the room with the owners, I usually tell them like, this is not something that you're just gonna take some medication and come back in six months. I usually say, we're gonna take this step by step. So I'm gonna start some medication, see you back in two weeks. Then we're gonna, 
do another two weeks. And then usually if they're tolerating it, the medication starts to spread out and then we go to every four to six week recheck. So it's not as intense as the you know high grade lymphomas where you're seeing them weekly and then every other week. And so I say, you can stop at any other point. We're gonna stop and evaluate the, the pet, you know, if they're not responding. And so this is not an all or none process, mm. you know, and we can see how they're doing. And I think a lot of owners like that. They're not mm. buying six months worth of medication. They're gonna buy two weeks, see how their pet's gonna do. They're gonna buy two weeks, see how their pet's gonna do. And I think for a lot of owners, they're so overwhelmed that their pet has cancer in the beginning, but they're like, okay, I'm gonna try two weeks. And then like, oh, I forgot, you know, my cat, oh, they're getting weight their blood work's okay. And then they come back and then the, and then you're like, oh, now we're going to every three days with the medication. That's not so bad. And then they're on daily steroids. But, it, you know, so I think you have to break it down for the owners because otherwise they can get really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And I think that process tends to help with the owners. Yeah, I, I really like that I, it, because it is overwhelming. And, yeah. and I like, I also like, I, and I, I hope owners would like hearing that you can stop at any time. Yeah. It's not like it's an all or nothing thing. Yeah. Like you're in for and I, say, or... and I say the same thing for high-grade lymphoma when you're doing weekly chemo. I say, you're not going to pay for the whole chemotherapy. You pay each week as you go. Yeah. So why don't we start and see how they do? And then they're like, are you really giving chemo back there? Because my cat's not getting sick. And they come back then, they're like, all right, I'll do one more week. And then they're like, you know what? This is going really well. And then they're like, and the cat's gaining weight and the cat's diarrhea is finally resolving and their cat, they're not stepping in cat puke all the time. And so, and then, you know, and so for the cats with high grade lymphomas that subset that are responders that are gonna be the one- They can be really good. They can be really, really good. What's crappy about the high-grade lymphomas are those subset of kitties that within the first yeah. month or two don't respond, but those are the ones that you're going to stop. And you're going to know. And you're going to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. don't lose the money because they didn't yeah. like they didn't buy six months worth yeah. of chemo, you know. Yeah. So, again, I feel like that helps the owners. Yeah. I think it does, it. too. I think it's a really, I, I think it's a, a reassuring Right. way to tell owners and I think they feel a little bit more like they're in control right right because I think often chemotherapy kind of takes over at least on the human side it yeah. takes over you right now it's in control and I think the, a lot of people have known somebody who's gone That's through exactly chemotherapy what I was say. right and so and it's, it's been a horrible experience and it's been a horrible experience usually. and it changes their life and it drives everything in their life and right. it doesn't have to be that way for our patients and I think it's really important and this is a little bit like sort of the communication part of it but I used to just sort of talk about lymphoma and just explain everything, but now I ask them like, do you have any experiences with chemo? I'm like, I'm sorry if this is a little bit personal or with your family or another pet. And they might say, you know, sometimes they're like, you know, my dog went through it, it was totally fine, just tell me what I have to do. And sometimes they say, well, we had another cat and that had lymphoma and didn't do well and were really, really scared. And so I think, you know, they say investigate before you tell. And I think if you kind of unpack their feelings about it, it can make it a little bit easier to address what their concerns are as you explain this one for them. Yeah. And you know, you can apply that to other things because I often use the same approach with owners with a newly diagnosed diabetic cat. Yeah. How many people know other people or other pets with diabetes, right? You can apply that approach quite and, often. And I'll tell you, like, diabetes them. scares me more than lymphoma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like, the fact that well, I would have to give insulin twice a day on schedule and right, like... That's actually easier. So. <laughs> oh, no, that seems much, way more scarier yeah. than cancer to me. You have yeah. to inject them with something. Yeah. I, I think it's also the, the fact that people um, get quite a negative feeling about cancer in general. Yeah. So, um, and that has to do with environment too. They hear a lot of horror stories about cancer and not only about chemotherapy, but just, you know, we're going to die. Um, 
and it's different for other disease categories. So for instance, if people are diagnosed with heart disease, oh really, that's too bad. We know a, that an animal has art, art of atrial fibrillation and will die within a couple of months. Um, so cancer patients often have a much longer survival, but people will treat mm. the arterial fibrillation much earlier than they will treat. My husband's mm. an internist and I often say, well, like what's the median survival time for that medical disease? And he's like, well, I don't know. I was like, but everybody comes into an oncologist and they go, how what how long's my dog gonna live? How long's my cat gonna live, doc? That's a good point. It is, it's really frustrating. I used to actually, about like five to seven years ago when I started to first do social media, I almost took it personally that people were like, oh, cancer sucks. Because I felt like they were saying to me, like, cause I love what I do. Like I love being a cancer specialist. And then I realized they weren't saying, Sue, what you do sucks. Like, yes, cancer does suck, but I still think what I do is really special. And I love that I help people and pets get through a really, really crappy time in the family, yeah. you know, in the whole family experience. Like, it, but they're not saying what I does suck. Like, cancer does suck, yeah. but I still think like what we can do to help pets get through cancer doesn't have to suck. But it is interesting that there are so many other diseases, you know, whether they're neurologic or, you know, some respiratory diseases that are really crappy, you know, saddle thrombus and cats, yeah. like, right? That are like just so crappy, but yeah. people just, oh, cancer, it's the worst. And I'm like, no, yeah, there's like, some cancers really, really treatable yeah. and the cats yeah. have really great quality it's of life. It's not one disease. Right. Yeah. It's many diseases yeah. with a really crappy title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has been a lot of fun having you with us, Sue, finally. And our time has flown by so fast. I can't believe it. It is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a time-shifting thing, I think, really. When you get talking to somebody that you really like talking to or it's a really good subject, time just flies by. I know. And oncology is the best subject Absolutely. Ever. Yes. Thank so you for thank having you. me. Oh, thank you for coming. And uh, the good news is we'll have you back in two weeks. Yay! Yay! For our next per podcast. And I'm sure it'll go just as fast and be just as interesting. So tune in next time for Dr. Sue. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at Per Podcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. 